0: Autism Through Cinema Welcome to the Autism Through Cinema podcast Investigating Autistic Presence and Expression on Screen This podcast is brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema Project, based at Queen Mary, University of London, and funded by the Wellcome Trust. For more on the project, please visit our website, autism-through-cinema.org.uk, and follow us on Twitter at Autism Cinema. If you're a fan of this podcast, please do spread the word. Leave us a review, share our episodes on social media, or just drop us an email to let us know what you like about the show. In today's episode, Lillian, David, and Alex get all animated about anime in the company of Hayao Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli, and a young witch called Kiki. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, uh, and and welcome to those people who are here for the first time, potentially. My name is David Hartley, and I'm joined again by uh, Alex Widdowson and Lillian Crawford, um, where we've gathered here on a, uh, a Friday morning. <laughs> Don't really need to know that, but it's a Friday morning um, to talk about uh, uh, talk about another film today. We are talking about. Uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. Um, So I've got a little bit of information about Kiki's Delivery Service here, and I'm going to go through that first, and then we will um, open up to some conversations about this film. Okay, so Kiki's Delivery Service is a 1989 Japanese anime film directed by Hayao Miyazaki and was the uh, fourth feature film, I believe, from Studio Ghibli. And it came after uh, Castle in the Sky, Grave of the Fireflies, and My Neighbor Totoro um kiki's delivery service was the first film released under a uh, a 15-year partnership between studio ghibli and disney apparently and was subsequently re-released with an english dub uh, in 1998 with uh, kiki the main character voiced by kirsten dunst although i never watch the um the english dub versions i always watch the, the japanese ones because i'm proper like that <laughs> so i don't what, know anything what, about the english what, dub what, versions
1: what, watch both that's the trick
0: Oh, that's the trick. Watch both. Okay. Right. Um, I'll do that afterwards then and maybe <laughs> record a follow-up. No, I don't think we'll. Um, okay. So let me tell you about the film a little bit. Okay. So the film uh, tells the tale of Kiki, who is a 13-year-old witch who uh, rather spontaneously at the beginning of the movie, she decides that she's going to sort of uh, kind of seize her independence, uh, leave her uh, home in, in a kind of rural village and go out into the wider world. She ends up in a big coastal city called Kuriko, um where she's soon feels quite kind of overwhelmed and out of place um she's eventually taken in by a kindly baker called Asono. and and she sets up a delivery service in the attic of this bakery um using her ability to fly around on her broomstick to help um deliver packages for people around the city uh, i've written here she's sort of like an uber eats on a broomstick um so that's that's what she's that's what she does Along the way, she falls into various mishaps and misadventures involving her cat, Gigi. She's got a little black cat called Gigi and a local boy called Tombo who has taken a shine to her. Uh, Later in the film, she also faces a bit of a crisis when she suddenly uh, loses her witch powers um, for a while. Uh, so kiki's delivery service shares quite a lot of thematic concerns in common with other studio ghibli films include uh sort of including uh, a young person gaining or seeking independence um, the sort of overcoming of trials and hardships uh things like self-acceptance resilience and maturity this, these kinds of things that are often found in, in studio ghibli films so the reason why i've I've suggested this and brought this film along. In fact, actually, it was Lillian who suggested that we we look at Kiki's Delivery Service in, in particular. But it was my suggestion that we look at um, Studio Ghibli. Um, part of the reason for this was I found I thought it might be a, an interesting way into sort of consider the area of kind of Japanese anime and, and, and manga, um, manga being the kind of comic book uh, versions of anime. Um, as I, I've come across this a few times in my kind of research and my reading, it seems to be that that uh, quite a lot of autistic people have found themselves quite quite drawn towards anime and towards manga as as cultural phenomena and as kind of genres, I guess. Uh, I did a little bit of reading around the topic and the, the, the sort of suggestions that, and we might discuss this a bit further in a bit more detail, the suggestions that anime and manga may be particularly attractive to autistic people especially younger autistic people um for two reasons really two big reasons the first being that the kind of the characters of anime um are often very kind of obvious about their emotions that they're feeling at any given time um anime anime manga characters their faces often c- contort into quite exaggerated uh, expressions that show quite precise emotional states and i think that this sometimes can be very useful for autistic people who might struggle to kind of read the nuances of of emotion in in, a, in a give, any kind of given situation and so I think some there's something about like manga and anime using this technique that, that can be quite has been quite appealing and secondly the other reason being that um the worlds of manga and anime are, are pretty massive and sprawling and deep and um th- there's a lot of them basically if you sort of dip your toe into that world you can kind of tumble down a rabbit hole with it all because they're massive and they're sprawling uh, linked up into a multitude of media from films to comics tv shows uh, video games cosplay collectible toys and on and on and on so and so on and i think sometimes the extent of an extra material like this can be um a source of kind of great pleasure i think for autistic people deep pleasure but also a way of like engaging with other autistic people like creating communities and fandoms and so on um and i have known a few autistic people in my life who have professed kind of a, a love for the for the worlds of anime and manga um which is so i think it's been quite interesting going on there and so i sort of thought we'd pick out studio ghibli because they studio ghibli is the kind of probably the most i mean i don't know if it's the most successful but it's certainly the most sort of like universally known across from outside of japan and in the kind of um western context it's, the, it's been this kind of successful uh export i suppose uh import sorry and um I thought that uh, it would be useful, I think, to to, to take a look at uh, a Studio Ghibli film. So I've watched, we've, wa- we've all watched Kiki's Delivery Service. Um, and I also this morning watched Spirited Away as well, rewatched it um, for the first time in many years, actually. So um, to get myself refreshed, I will say as a caveat that I'm not like um, a-, a Ghibli super fan or um, massively knowledgeable about the films. I haven't seen them all. Um, but I do enjoy them whenever I see them, and uh, I think they're really interesting films. So yeah, that's uh, that's my little uh, introduction there on Kiki's Delivery Service. But let's let's uh, open this out. I mean, like first of all, did we enjoy watching Kiki's Delivery Service? I mean, uh, if you don't enjoy watching Kiki's Delivery Service, I mean there must be something a bit wrong with you because it's um, such a joyful film.
2: I did officially enjoy it but I must admit watching uh, incredibly detailed and luscious animation really stresses me out. Oh really? Well, (laughs) because I'm an animator and I mostly work on independent projects and just trying to think about, I mean, how to
0: Hmm.
2: implement some of the ideas that they're able to execute in their pipeline just is like very anxiety inducing for me. But um, as an animator, I thought it's also probably worth mentioning. I can't overstate my qualifications for this discussion i i very much am not an expert in anime but um yeah in terms of narrative it was it was sort of peacefully serene this sort of gentle story that uh gradually progresses and then suddenly there's a sort of well, i mean i guess there'll have to be some spoilers in this uh yeah in this discussion i hope that's just assumed for pretty much all of our podcast episodes but um yeah the uh, the sort of se- the, the final sequence is then suddenly an explosion of activity mm. but the rest of the film is sort of almost ambient it's just like very gentle
0: yeah absolutely i would totally agree with that it's very um it's a very pleasant watch isn't it but then it, it does build up to that quite um yeah quite ex- quite exciting actually final kind of sequence with the big the um the blimp that's crashing into the uh uh, the tower and the, and the, the the sort of child that's dangling from it. Suddenly, there's there's suddenly there's high stakes in the film, like and there hasn't been well, there sort of hasn't been all the way through. But yeah, Lillian, what's your take on this film?
1: Yeah, um, well, I, as you said earlier, um, when you when you suggested doing a Ghibli film, um, this was the one that sort of immediately came to mind for me. Um, I think that I was thinking I was thinking actually when when rewatching it a couple of times fairly recently since um, since I was a child um, about, um, I don't know if you've read Explaining Humans by Camilla Pang, which is sort of a, a look at from a sort of young woman's perspective of sort of how autism can make one feel sort of um, almost like an alien on another planet, um, or, or rather, uh, 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 and sort of looking at how humans behave and human behaviour and sort of coming from another place. Um, and, and feeling like you're observing and learning sort of their ways and sort of how to how to fit in how to mask in in in, in that community and I think that the narrative of sort of it's interesting you mentioned Spirit as Way because I think it does it similarly but Kiki is perhaps more it's less fantastical it's one of them, yeah. it's one of me it's one of Miyazaki's um, least fantastical films it is one of his more sort of realistic films. I mean obviously it's about a witch but the, the most that she sort of does is fly around in a broomstick which is which is not you know it's not um it's not 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 as witchy as perhaps some of the, um Miyazaki's other films are um but she, she's she's sort of coming to this town as you, as, as you say with with, with uh, sort of the very best of intentions but sort of there's going to be some some sort of mistakes along the way and sort of She's she's sort of very mannered and and she's sort of studied manners in a very specific way. She has a very clear idea of how things are done, and then she sort of learns to to change that. and And the whole story really is about her developing her skills of empathy and learning how to sort of look out for others, but in a very sort of specific way. Like she does, she does, she just sort of has to make it. She has to make it like a gift that she has, like, it's, it's because at the start when she meets this other witch on the way to the, to the town, um, she says that she's her, she has a skill and she's a fortune telling witch and, and Kiki wonders what her sort of, um, her skill would be. Um, and I think that she decides that her skill is going to be sort of these acts of kindness, which I find incredibly endearing and very much sort of how I Would sort of behave as a child in terms of like learning how to sort of empathize with people. Um, I've always been someone who sort of (laughs) would give will give gifts rather than perhaps (laughs) more meaningful forms of them. I don't even know what that is like. That but it's like a way of of sort of expressing kindness to me. It's like oh that person is sad. Here have a book that I like. (laughs) Um, That is sort of how I will deal with these things. So it's I think that. Her her general approach is is really fascinating and moving and sometimes when things don't work out and she she gets very confused about why people react in the way that they do. Um, there's there's a scene which I've I've always found incredibly distressing in this film when she makes this pie with this old lady um, and it's really sweet. And the old lady's really lovely, and the, and she's she's so worried about getting the pie to the lady's granddaughter on time for her party. And when she arrives and gives her the pie, the girl is really ungrateful for it and sort mm-hmm. of slams the door in her face. And I hate that soup so much. It's so it's so <laughs> distressing um, because people are confusing, and, <laughs> and that's just the most confusing behavior when someone has done something nice for you. Um, but she sort of learns in the way that um, I think a lot of autistic people learn is that is that you can't always predict sort of the behaviors of people once you actually get to that that point in 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 a human interaction um yeah that's quite a rambling way of sort of explaining why i chose this film because i think it's just very much sort of the premise of it that resonates so strongly um and but when you've been doing that for a long time and you've been doing all of these acts of kindness and you, you sort of pushing yourself a bit too far you will just completely burn out and i love the idea of mm. the sort of analogy in the film between losing one's magical powers the ability to fly and and autistic burnout that i think is really strong in in this film and really clear i I mean, whether or not it's specifically an autistic form of burnout, I don't know, but it's definitely like <laughs> this is clearly what Miyazaki is doing in this film is mm-hmm. saying, you know, we, we we it's possible for people to push themselves too far, and 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 they lose their ability to to focus and to work. Um, that I think is is really well captured in this film. I
2: mean, just on that point about burnout, um, Kiki also loses the the ability to communicate, uh, with her black cat, Mm. uh, Gigi, Mm. um, which I think, you know, the idea of relating burnout to communicative abilities is, uh, it's almost very on the nose really.
1: (laughs) And, and, and Gigi is sort of, I like to think of Gigi as sort of like her neurotypical aid in some way. It's like, he's able to sort of point out to her things in a very sort of blunt fashion when she can't quite can't quite see it. So when she's burnt out she just sort of loses that faculty for sort of neurotypicality I suppose in that sense and she just loses the ability to sort of think straight altogether which is certainly a very relatable way of, of, of feeling and, and, and emotion and I think that as I said earlier you know this is there is a fantastical element to this film but it's um it's a way of communicating things that are difficult to articulate and express and talk about especially when you're actually feeling burnt out trying to tell someone I uh, I am currently burnt out is is near impossible so mm. I think that that um, yeah I think that Gigi is a, is a really interesting character c- to sort of consider in relation to her and how he sort of he, he sort of functions almost like a sort of Jiminy Cricket type character he's it's like a, a, He's her conscience almost um in in that respect and he, he he's sort of prone to the same sort of distractions and whims that that, that our own sort of minds are. Um, he gets very distracted by this cat that he has a crush on, um, which is very <laughs> cute. Um, but I, I think I think also the um, interactions that they have with tombo are really interesting to talk about. because um, I do not like him. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think that Kiki really does either, which is why it's a bit strange that they sort of become. I suppose that, the, I suppose that those sorts of friendships can develop, but when they first meet, he's just really rude, <laughs> which, which isn't. Um, I've, I've, I, I mention him because I've seen some people describe him as an autistic character, and I find that very hard to to see. I don't know what you 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 think of his sort of <laughs> place on on. In, in that regard.
0: No, I I, I would sort of see him more as a kind of in your face neurotypical character in some <laughs> ways. Like he's just one of these kinds of slightly annoyingly overconfident people who comes dashing up to you and is like thinks that you're suddenly his best friend because he's he's all in your face. Um yeah I, I don't see that and I, I, I think he is drawn really as a, something of a contrast really to Kiki um he seems to be just perpetually um positive as well all the time and, and happy and 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 uh dashing around. It's interesting to note that, that that scene where she does have that kind of burnout comes just after she's had um sort of the most fun i guess with tombo isn't she she's been on that she's sort of uh he's invented this kind of bike um with a um propeller on the front that's uh that sort of zooms around on the street he sort of zooms around on the streets with and kiki's riding on this um bike with him and then they kind of start flying and and the idea is that she she is kind of used a bit of her magic to help it fly. It's a little bit of a sort of like ET moment where they're flying bike in the sky. But then it crashes down and everything. And then they have this nice little kind of vaguely romantic moment next to the next to the ocean, looking out over the ocean. And then his mates turn up in the car and are all obnoxious. And and it's the girl again, it's the girl who she delivered the pie to. Um, who was horrible to her, who's like, oh, it's that delivery girl again. And they're all sort of slightly teasing her. And then that's when you get the moment where she sort of, you know, wanders home on her own, collapses down on her bed and then says to Gigi, I actually wrote it down because it's a really sad moment. She said, she says at that point, I think something is wrong with me. I make friends and suddenly I can't bear to be with them anymore, uh, with any of them. The other me, the cheerful, honest me went off somewhere. And like Tombo, never has that problem. He's just like relentlessly friendly boy all the time on in your face, like he's like you can't calm him down. Whereas she's got these peaks and troughs, and 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 she just suddenly needs to be on her own at that point, and then she just ends up in this kind of like self doubt turmoil for a while, which then has this knock on effect of her losing her powers, and not being able to talk to Gigi, and not being able to fly. Eventually, she she, she loses the ability to be able to fly for a while. And then it's interesting of course by the time we get to the end it is tombo that she's having to save so she's clearly got this kind of affection for him because she sees him dangling from this blimp that's floating away and she needs to then go and fly over and and, and save him so um yeah but no i agree with you actually Leon. i think he is a bit of a character
2: <laughs> anyway well i totally disagree oh well Good. um no Good. not totally I I think <laughs> um I think that the there's something about sort of moving comfortably through these complex somewhat sort of gossipy and uh like I don't know weird groups of nasty teenagers which doesn't strike me as a very particularly comfortable space for autistic people. Mm. So that works against the idea of Tombo as an autistic character but like the obvious thing is the special interest, like
0: mm. a sort
2: of very focused um, commitment to the idea of flying and um, you know I, I, I also <laughs> I had to look up what a dirigible was uh, just to make sure I was we were all, I was thinking about the same thing but yeah, it's this this blimp, this zeppelin and his sort of uh, I mean I, I, um I don't like using the word obsessive it's maybe an exaggeration, but his like very strong commitment to this interest yeah. of his. That struck me as um, certainly an autistic trait. Um, and then you know, you know what is there something autistic about being um, very persistent and jolly and uh, not necessarily picking up on the fact that he's pushing too hard and and mm. uh, you know, um, mm. I think I certainly know autistic people who are uh, very, very jolly and uh, mm. quite happy to talk about what really interests them and go after what they want and wouldn't necessarily pick up on someone politely trying to go in a different direction. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, so I, I'm not, I, I mean, I, I think the problem is, is that, um, you know. Do you it's think bit... that's
1: quite a specifically male form of autism then? By well, contrast to, to, to sort of. What I would characterise as a very female form of autism in, in Kiki.
2: Mm. Yeah, I know. Mean, I think you're right. Yeah, there's there's a huge amount of difference between the two of them. Mm. Um, but then there's also this other character, the baker, who I think is the husband mm. of the other baker. Yeah. Um, he he's in lots of scenes and appears to never speak. Um, to be um, not a not speaking person, uh, whatever the right uh, adjective is um that we're going to use uh, and i thought well that's something happening there as well again it's not a sort of complete picture of autism but um you know these these properties sort of float up
1: Mm -hmm. i think it's interesting you mentioning that because i think that and this is something perhaps i'm i'm as guilty of is, is sort of assuming neurotypicality on the part of most other people and then in this town actually, this town that I sort of think of as this sort of haven of neurotypicals that, that Kiki's sort of trying to make her way in, that actually there are forms of neurodiversity there that perhaps aren't as obvious but are definitely there and sort of makes it, in some ways it's those people that she sort of ends up connecting with. Um, I think that only I mean, my favourite character in the film other than Kiki is probably Ursula who is mm. um, um, a sort of hmm. she she has this wonderful moment where she says to kiki um because she's a painter and she likes painting birds and she says to kiki that um you know that, that sometimes she can't paint at all that she loses the ability to paint um and i would probably characterize Ursula as quite as a fairly neurotypical character that she's sort of like she's sort of like a big sister character to her really and sort of helping her on her way and she sort of assists her a, a, a few points in the film. Um she's also like very queer-coded, which is very cool and makes mm. me very happy. in uh, <laughs> this sort of cottage core vibe that she that, she, that <laughs> she has, is outraged when when they they get picked up in the van and the guy like says that he even thought she was a boy, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, which is like <laughs> because she's not wearing a dress like I don't really know she, she she has that great line about her legs she's like do you think a boy has legs like these it's yeah. <laughs> so good um, and um but yeah I I, th- I think for you know she sort of says well you know you're not the it's not it's not just a witch thing <laughs> it's like mm. everyone has everyone sort of has the capacity for burnout and 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 has the capacity to sort of Lose typical ways of functioning, I, I guess. Um, so I, th- I think it's quite nice that these sorts of traits emerge, you know, in the other characters, and that Kiki learns that she's not, she's not a complete outsider. Like I think that's important for her feeling like she fits in in this town. Because that's like her whole objective of going there as as a witch. Um, why we do not know. But there you go. <laughs>
2: I had a very strong feeling that um, Ursula was basically Miyazaki in the film, just Mm -hmm. speaking as a sort of experienced Mm -hmm. artist who uh, just wants to tell everybody how he feels about (laughs) (laughs) how stressful it is making art and staying fresh and being creative. It seemed like this very intensely reflexive discussion Mm -hmm. about the process of animation, production and creativity in general, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was actually really, it's one of the things that interested me the most about this film.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Have you, I mean, I presume you've seen Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, the really great documentary about um, Ghibli and the, oh, so um, it's sort of really a great insight into like the workings of Ghibli and, and of Miyazaki himself. And he sort of has this great line that I think has sort of been um, repeated, is often posted sort of on on the internet of him talking to a cat. And he says, um, "You have it so easy. You have no schedule." Um, and he's, he, its just these great moments where Miyazaki is like clearly, very visibly distressed at the fact that the wind—that he hasn't finished the wind rises when he's supposed to. I mean, by contrast to Takahata, right, who like made far fewer films because he's—he just like was so chill about deadlines. And I think. Ka- Kaguya took, like, 12 years to make or something ridiculous. Um, And um, so, yeah, I think that sort of getting that insight into Miyazaki as an artist and as someone who has an unbelievable amount of artistic pressure placed on him as, Mm. like, this sort of um, artistic auteur almost in animation, which is, like, pretty, pretty it's, it's particularly in sort of um hand-drawn animation that's quite <laughs> a staggering amount of sort of creativity that's required of him but i think you're right that there is this sort of um that, that there are he clearly sees himself to some extent in like young girls which is mm. interesting um because most of his films by contrast to to um some of the other directors at uh, Ghibli, um, do have these sort of young female heroines who who are sort of these, these like outsiders in a very sort of chaotic and creative world and sort of sometimes that's fine and they really vibe with it and then sometimes <laughs> they just have to like take time out to just collapse. There's definitely like um, a, a sense that he's yeah I think I think when you sort of there are moments when a writer or a director's voice cut through quite clearly in films, and I think that you're right in saying that 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 those those moments when she's talking about painting, she creates this gorgeous painting, um, which is really you know just sort of creative women is good to see um, mm. in in these films, it's because it's not something that we see um, terribly often, and that's, I suppose that's why it's quite uh, what you said at the start about the 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 dubbed version. Mm. Um, which I don't think I'd seen before until yesterday when I re-watched it, um, mainly because Kirsten Dunst is in it. And I feel like she is an actress, particularly sort of around the time when she dubbed this, is sort of like a t- 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 very typical sort of American girl. And mm. you can see why they sort of cast her to do that, to make it. I don't want to say relatable, but maybe, maybe because the point the point of dubbing, right, is to try to make a film more accessible. Mm, mm. Um particularly to particularly to children, uh Anglophone children. Um so I I, I suppose that's partly why why that he, he does that. But it is interesting that they are often sort of, you know, you 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 wanted to do an episode on, on, on Ghibli and my immediate thought was that all of the young female protagonists of these films are all autistic but maybe (laughs) maybe that's just me projecting myself onto onto them i don't know
0: well yeah i mean there's something to be said for that because you're right um the, the the various female main characters of uh probably well most of the ghibli films certainly the miyazaki ones are um, not always the same, but similar to each other. You know, I, I watched Spirited Away pretty much immediately after watching uh, Kiki's Delivery Service uh, over the past couple of days. And uh, Chihiro in, in Spirited Away is quite different to Kiki in many ways. Um, a lot sort of more, uh, sort of shy and kind of more nervy and um, more um, sort of worried about things at the, at the beginning and has to go through this quite a uh, quite traumatic sort of experience really of going into this wonderland world um of monsters and, and strange people and strange situations and having to sort of like battle a way through that for me it was like oh this is kind of like the it was a bit of a kind of alice in wonderland narrative yeah and and she, yeah and then there's her and then there's um there's people like i think kind of like Arietti in, in mm-hmm. ariety and uh it was a while since i've seen since i've seen it but um uh when Ma- is it called when marnie was when Marnie, was there. When, was, marnie there? was there when money was there not here oh she was there um <laughs> yeah i believe like you know if i, if I remember rightly the, there's some sort of the one of the characters in there has a kind of Bit of an autistic vibe potentially. Mm. Uh, Ponyo is one another one that comes I was, up. I was,
1: was going to say Ponyo is another one where sort of you have you have this sort of female character coming from another place or, yeah. or world, and then sort of trying to learn learn behaviours. I mean Ponyo's Ponyo's very young, which I think is a diff- considerable difference. Is that Kiki is sort of how old is she? Twelve? I think she's twelve. I think she's twelve. A, yeah, 13, 12. 13, 13, thirteen yes because Ashley says she's thirteen and a witch. Uh, yeah. but yeah um yeah i i i th- i think that it is interesting sort of because you you' you've 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 mentioned some sort of um like goro Miyazaki films as well which i i think does do have a different approach to to those sorts of women like some some a character like Arietti is um is is much more sort of Assured of herself, I guess, than, mm. than than perhaps the characters in um, in Hayao Miyazaki's films. Like um, I'm thinking of Sophie in How's Moving Castle*, who I who is probably is another one of my favourite characters, or someone like San in *Princess Mononoke*, mm. who, who who are sort of kept in it's this it's this sort of clash, right, between different civilizations and ways of living, and sort of particularly sort of isolated individuals entering the wider world um mm. and sort of the challenges that they face and i do think it's interesting that they're all they're almost like, always female um, and often entering a very sort of masculine environment like particularly sophie sort of going into into house castle but then in in that film you can read it the other way, that Sophie's actually the neurotypical one sort of assisting the autistic how. Mm. So it's 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 there there is often this sort of narrative of someone who is sort of in one set of ways suddenly having to come to terms with another set of ways of doing things. Um, which I think is very much sort of at the heart of of, of Kiki. Um and as you as you sort of said at the beginning, and I, I think is important to talk to talk about, it is the ending of the film, which for me is sort of like I can see why it resolves in the way it does, and you know the the the, the story of the of the airship is sort of there right from the beginning. The film opens with a radio broadcast um, about the launch of this 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 ship. Um, I'd quite happily have seen this film just end without any sort of major event. Like, mm-hmm. it feels um, it feels almost dismified in a way. Like, if you think of some of the other fil- earlier films that you were talking about, things like My Neighbor Totoro, which is this very quiet film that you know there is a sort of there's a level of jeopardy. At the end, when May goes missing, and they have to, they have to find her. But I, th- I, th- I think, I think May rather. Um, but that, 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 maybe this film didn't necessarily need something quite so catastrophic. Um, it's a very quiet town. It seems quite strange that something so, so big is, is, is happening. Um, I don't know. May, may, I, I, I think that that the, the, the sort of narrative issue of her. Acclimatizing to that environment is in and of itself fascinating, and mm. and enough to drive a plot that we don't necessarily need that sort of Hollywood style animated ending.
2: I've got to admit, I'm a bit of a philistine. I mean, both in terms of very much enjoying this sort of bombastic uh, climax and sort of you know the the boyish glee at which um, things are destroyed and exploding and everybody's lives in jeopardy, uh, you know, my, my neurons were, uh, tingling as that happened. Um, yeah. And also like, uh, as a dyslexic, uh, I definitely am a philistine. I much prefer dubbed versions and accessibility mm-hmm. is very important to me. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I have to sort of sometimes psych myself up to, to, to watch a, a subtitled film because mm-hmm. it's just, uh, too. it's quite a lot of effort basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah um and now i'm doing a phd to to prove to co- compensate and uh, prove i'm not <laughs> don't really have those struggles but yeah i mean so these uh I, I i sort of i quite like a film that is able to have a big range and um be quiet and be subtle and, and have this sort of um gradual intimate story but then be able to change gears in a way that feels um plausible tangible like you can separate the film almost entirely between those two modes but it Mm -hmm. also links very well and I think um I think it's a skill of Miyazaki that he was able to change registers so rapidly in a way that was quite uh convincing I was just a bit more confused by the very very sudden ending Mm. after you know we like there's a little bit of storytelling that takes place through the credits where we had right. these stills of or these like vignettes of um, mm. what everybody does afterwards or how things turn out but it was yeah it was incredibly fast
0: yeah that and it did that very ending did feel a little rushed like that it felt like there was a scene missing or something didn't it really because there was the the baker um suddenly uh, who's heavily pregnant all the way through suddenly goes Oh, uh, oh, I can feel my baby coming. And then you think, okay, there's going to be maybe a scene here where, like, um, you know, Kiki's helping to deliver the baby or something, or, you know, helping to deliver some supplies to her while she's getting and then they will end with the baby and everyone will be happy but actually it just it ends just before that and you do get the the baby in the in the credits you see you briefly see them being being held but you yeah. know yeah so it was a bit of a weird ending but in terms of the actual kind of like the blimp stuff yeah I, yeah i i quite enjoyed it i must admit it is interesting isn't it it does suddenly become an action movie for 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 a moment with a big set piece um all quite kind of convoluted because it's like okay yeah they needed something that was happening up in the air so that Kiki could uh, fly and and you know relearn how to fly and, and save this this person's yeah. life so a little bit but it was it was fun what I really loved actually was the moment um right at the end when she's when um Tombo has so Tombo's dangling off a kind of wire from the bottom of this um uh, blimp which has now crashed into clock tower um, and he keeps slipping down this thing, and Kiki's got to him and is trying to reach him, but she can't quite get to him. And then he falls, and she sort of uh, zooms down to catch him. And then there's that really lovely shot, like shot, I suppose, what the frame image of her dangling from the broomstick and 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 holding onto him, and he's like kind of inches from the from the floor. And then everyone sort of claps. Just thought, oh, that's really that's really lovely. It's a really neat image, and. Uh, quite a sort of, you know, one of those very kind of pure magical images of someone hanging off a a broomstick. Um, I really like that. I thought that was really sweet and really nice. Um,
2: It's called silhouetting in animation. Um, Oh, right. Making sure the uh, outline of the characters in the composition is always recognizable. uh, And Ah. and important storytelling moments, uh, there's a lot of focus on silhouetting. But it's also why Mickey Mouse's ears are always on the side of his head no matter which direction he looks in <laughs> okay um so you can recognize what's happening just mm. from the silhouette
1: yeah oh interesting yeah. I, I i suppose i, I mentioned this as, as a sort of qualm not necessarily sort of n- not not with my film critic hat on with, with with my with my autistic sort of viewer um sensibility type thinking um because I think that I think that it seems like that can be really distressing as an autistic person and I think that mm. it's it's interesting how calm Kiki manages to be during that time of crisis because um, I th- I think that I think that there's enough going on in her life that's really distressing that she doesn't need a giant airship to crash into a clock tower <laughs> like she's 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 at the age where she's sort of starting to go through puberty. And um, I think that's also something else that I wanted to to sort of bring up. as sort of like that 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 in itself is is a narrative um, sort of up form of upheaval of of disequilibrium of um, the Domi She's feature for Pixar turning right, which came out um, it this year. I think it was this year <laughs> um, that that film came out. It's, yeah, it's a strange year. Um, and that that's a film that sort of As you also also touched on at the beginning, like why anime um sort of appeals to autistic people is that this is a this is a what sort of um well Shi is um um based in in Toronto and the film is set in in Toronto um of using sort of anime styles of character expression and and animation and sort of like these big emotions that are really really helpful as a viewer. I mean, this is something that I, I kind of wanted to to talk about um, on some of these podcasts. is, is like communication of emotion. Um, mm. And I think that animation is, as you said, a really clear way of demonstrating emotion because you actually have to sort of, e- 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 even for someone who isn't autistic, you can't be overly subtle with emotion in animation. Otherwise, they don't look like they have emotions Mm. Um, so Turning Red is is a really interesting film that sort of uses those techniques but it's also the whole plot is about this girl who is starting her period and it's a film that sort of ends with again like the period sort of manifesting themselves as giant pandas who and the mom is a giant panda and she destroys a, a, a concert stadium and so on like I love the story of that film i love the narrative but i felt like it didn't need that ending and it's the same in kiki and i always feel like domishi is probably definitely inspired by films like kiki's delivery service because you have this fairly subtle form of metaphor for sort of um the upheaval in girls lives when they're when they're teenagers and and and, and in kiki's delivery service she's a witch and she suddenly can't fly around and her cat doesn't talk to her in turning red um every time she gets her period she turns into a panda um that, that that that's like that's a really that that in and of itself is almost enough narrative <laughs> distress for me mm. um i don't know why it needs to sort of have bigger world re- maybe maybe it maybe it's because um they ha- there always has to be a way for like the men to relate. I don't know. Um, but it's, like, um, it's, 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 it's interesting compared, like thinking of those two films, and I was thinking about it, sort of watching it again, this time, because turning red had come out and that it was interesting seeing how sort of these, these ways of communicating distress um, that, that is caused by that. And I think for particularly for autistic people that that can, when when mood isn't up in the like you were saying about Tombo earlier when 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 Tombo's mood is permanently up, he is he is a happy child and I'm sure that's great. But it's not the case for teenage girls or 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 or, mm. or women, um, and I think that those fluctuations coupled with autism can be really can be really difficult and it can make um it can make the burnouts that you get around the time of your period really like overwhelming and completely debilitating and i think that that's sort of what kiki is sort of um starting to experience at that point sort of um in the film
2: so i think we we're starting to um encounter a clash of metaphors here because we've um talked very sort of in-depth about the idea that the um kiki's burnout is very much to do with exhaustion and um sort of mm, being ground down whereas actually i think the final sequence of the film is making almost the opposite argument that it is not that you've worked too hard and that you have um um sort of over you spent the resources you've run out of spoons uh, to use the uh, sort of a, <laughs> an additional metaphor um <laughs> I think it's very much a sort of, um, I'm not sure what the right sort of uh, the theoretical framework for it would be to describe it, but it's, it's sort of like a self-belief narrative. So it's, it's something more comparable with, um, you know, you just need to get over it, you know, just need to pluck up your stuff, stop self-obsessing and just get on with the job sort of attitude and the cat- cat- catastrophic activity of the, um uh, dirigible crashing into the buildings and, and people she knows having their lives threatening is a sort of mechanism that um, uh, prompts her to give up uh, contemplating, uh, and it being introverted and solipsistic, and um, just sort of the, she's given no choice but to reengage with her um, abilities, let's say so I think there's actually a, a genuine contradiction in the ending. And maybe that is lillian maybe that connects to why you think it doesn't quite fit with the other way in which you were you were interpreting the film
0: Mm. yeah that kind of yeah that's interesting that kind of makes sense because it is like yeah it is almost that the the other message of the film especially give the one that's given over by ursula part part way through is 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 to sort of recognize that everybody needs to take a breath and take take a moment and 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 calm down for a while and that's t- that's kind of normal and that's helpful for um your craft or whatever it is that you do um whether you're a witch or an artist or whatever it is i mean i found it a useful piece of information because i'm constantly trying to do stuff all the time and um often have to tell myself to to stop and like just do nothing for a while and that and and that's absolutely fine and yeah um but then this kind of cataclysmic ending uh seems to suggest that yeah almost that you do just have to kind of well i don't know there's something about it being a cat cataclysmic and the fact that, that she's she's suddenly the only person in this in this town that has the ability to be able to save tombo and she recognizes that immediately and um and does something about it and sets aside everything else and um and go straight to it but that again interestingly i don't think that's out of character for kiki because she is really um keen on helping people she is um she is kind of determined and and devoted and and uh gets seemingly gets satisfaction out of helping people like uh, the the first time she helps somebody in the in the town is when uh when she first meets the baker and the baker's running out and she the baker's got a kind of a pacifier a dummy that the um, a customer has has dropped and um and isn't able to get this dummy back and and Kiki's like oh well I can I can do that I can give that I can get that get that back to her no problem so she's one of she you know it's is within her character to to not second guess or to not to not sort of uh moments when she's needed and she can see how useful she can be and she knows exactly what she needs to do. She's like, oh yeah, I'm straight there. There's no doubt about it. She's, she's like, I, I can do this. Um, the self-doubt has come in, I guess, with her thinking about herself, her own identity and about how she fits in, perhaps with other people of her age, which which kind of like, that, that reminds me of another thing I noted down. Um, one thing about Kiki, and perhaps this is similar to other characters in other Ghibli films, um, is that she's kind of, she's sort of like old beyond her years in a way she's kind of like she's trying to set up as this kind of independent working woman in a way and um and is always trying to frantically sort of balance the books you know she's always got she's worried about how much money she's taking in from this delivery service she's doing which to be fair it, 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 she doesn't get that many delivery jobs and she doesn't do particularly well with that she's there are lots of moments where she's just sitting in the bakery bored because she hasn't got any um, any any deliveries t- to do um but there is a, there is an interesting moment where um one of the i think it's one of the kind of teenager gang in the in the car the ones that she sort of t- doesn't really like one of them says I can't quite remember what it is they say but they say Almost kind of, they're almost kind of impressed because she's like, oh, she's actually, uh, she's you know, she's an independent woman and she's working for herself and she's working really, uh she's that's kind of an impressive thing to do. So there's this interesting idea of her being sort of a little bit kind of old beyond her years in a way, and how that then also means that she's sort of, perhaps part of her worry is that she's kind of missing out on, how uh, being a normal teenager or being a kind of child for a bit longer. Um, and instead has taken on this burden of being a witch and being a uh, a worker and and mm. and uh, and hasn't actually given herself time to be a child. And in some ways, Tombo and his gang of friends are, are still kind of teenage children and are still sort of carefree and not really got any kind of um, responsibilities necessarily. They can just dick around and do what they want. Um, whereas Kiki's setting herself up as somebody who's self-sufficient and... and um, And that perhaps results in her being lonely and being a bit kind of down and feeling the weight of the world on her shoulders a little bit. Um, I don't know if I can really relate that to autism, except to say that um, often one of the things that is said about autistic children is that they are, some of them can be kind of, um, can can be sort of feel more comfortable in the company of adults than they do in the company of children sometimes. I've read that quite a lot. I've witnessed that where... Autistic young people are uh, learn sort of behaviours to kind of ingratiate themselves with the adult world before they do with the, the world of the people who are the same age as them. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, that struck me as a kind of an interesting paradigm in, in Kiki's character, really.
2: I was thinking of something similar, or not exactly the same point you were making, but, like, there's something definitely about um pressure social pressure Mm. in this new city she's used to uh, pretty much living in the countryside mostly interacting with her parents and then in the city she starts seeing all the sort of items of luxury and um uh, socially sort of signaling stuff like fashion and um, Mm. luxurious uh, clothes and it seems like there's a lot of wealth in this town that she's not used to and not able to compete with um and she becomes very self-conscious about her fashion and her clothes she's only got this one um dark dress basically um and that sort of becomes a goal throughout the film and like you know trying to at least at the start the mission is to see if she can fit in better can she Uh, ingratiate herself in this world a little bit better but then at every instance um, with the exception of her interactions with Tombow um, it seems like a a less and less appealing um, prospect sort of becoming one of these girls um, the sort of city girls and um, I think the most sort of important sort of signifier of this is right in the credits I think it is We then see a little girl who must be, you know, four or five, um, dressed up like Kiki as if she is now something that other people aspire to. Mm. And it's a sort of a signifier of, of like being independent, being your own person is ultimately what this film thinks is valuable. And I guess that really aligns very well with um, neuroqueering and um, sort of other aspects of the sort of neurodiversity paradigm of um, celebrating difference, um, suggesting that uh, society is more healthy when everybody who is different gets to um, contribute in their own way and not try and fit to a norm.
1: Yeah, and I think that all brings, goes back to that scene that I sort of talked about at the start of this podcast, when, when she sort of goes to the party with the pie and she'd much rather hang out with <laughs> the yeah. old lady um, uh, than, than, than with this sort of, you know, this very wealthy girl who's hosting this party in her parents house and she's got this like fancy dress on and she doesn't care for sort of grandma's homemade pies and <laughs> Basically, she's a, a she's a brat. And mm. Kiki is not. <laughs> so I know which one I'd much rather be. <laughs> um, but I think that that you know she she's not she's not invited indoors or anything. She's not like welcomed by many of the young people in the film. And you know you were saying about Tombo, and he is sort of the only person her own age really who she sort of interacts with. Um, and I think that there's that you, something that we've also talked about is sort of the um, the aeronautics in the film, which is obviously something that that Miyazaki is very interested in mm. and and spans sort of across right across all of his films. Um, you know, there's there's sort of there's something of sort of Naushka Valley of the Wind in the in the the, the final sequence and that sort of dramatic air um, aero. Battle type thing and, and right through to something like The Wind Rises, which is very much a sort of passion project for him, and making planes and things like Polcarosso. Mm. Um and I think that maybe maybe may, may, may you're right in detecting a certain sort of um neurodivergent interest or almost obsession in sort of that that form of sort of creation and an obsession that that, that, that Tombo has. But he seems it seems easier for him to sort of interact with other boys his own age than Kiki does with other girls her own age, which I think is, is definitely something that sort of I can relate to and, and sort of un- understand as something where there is this sort of the the almost cliquey behavior of sort of those wealthy sort of um neurotypical girls is gonna keep her sort of out as an outsider so it's not just sort of on an autistic level as you say it's also sort of um there's almost there there is a certain class dynamic to it as well which is why she ultimately is able to interact with Ursula because she's she's someone of sort of the same social standing that, that she is but again it's an older an older person she seems to get along much better with with people who are older than her um because they, she's she, she sort of, she's much more mature, perhaps than than her age suggests. That's why, I, that's why, I sort of had to stop myself earlier when we were talking about how old she is, because she seems, she seems mm. like a much older protagonist to me. She seems, um, even though she's not worldly yet, really, and that's part of the plot. She is, um, she has a very mature way of approaching things, and an almost sort of, almost scientific way of approaching tasks, um, including um, empathy as task, I suppose, the the Mm. labour, the labour involved in empathy is really interesting in in this film, sort of, that empathy is something that I think a lot of neurotypical people assume is sort of an innate faculty, um, which can often result in neurodiverse people um, and autistic people being almost more empathetic because they've had to sort of put more work into it to, 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 sort of develop that, that faculty.
2: Mm. I mean, absolutely. I, I, I was so, uh, the parallel for me is organization. When I was a kid, as a dyslexic, I was just sort of all over the place, like lo- losing everything constantly. And now I'm uh, a little bit more organized than my friends, um, and the reliable one, but, and I can, I can see how when you have to manually go through those processes, um, you then end up learning how to, you get comfortable with the idea of putting labor into it and you try harder throughout your life. And I see that again and again in many different situations, including, you know, dyspraxic animators and, um, and, uh, autistic, um, autistic academics, then becoming psychologists. And because of Mm. that, you know, I think the, the idea of overcompensation within the neurodivergent community is, um, is like, actually very very interesting um one thing i wanted to raise that i thought was just a, 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 a maybe a, just a, a challenge really to the premise of this um discussion is uh, do we need to be cautious about narratives that emphasize autistic exceptionalism and mm. uh, much in the same way that the sort of savant trope uh, that we are all familiar with particularly in rain man um sort of implies I think as Stuart Murray said that um it's a sort of compensatory uh, ability that justifies their um, role in the world because they can sort of make up for their difference Mm. or their lack of independence through some sort of special ability and here we have a witch someone who can fly (laughs) Mm. in a city where no one else can is this another rain man in disguise it's interesting that's an interesting point
0: i think not and i think the reason why i think not is because um the the film is careful to establish that um kiki has the the film is carefully established that witches exist in a way and that, that kiki has come from because because we do get this kind of like um this moment at the very beginning of the film where she's well, she starts off just sitting, and she gets blown by wind, and the wind seems to suggest to her that she needs to leave her t- her, her her village and, and go to you know go and be a witch in the in the wild sort of thing. But we get um, a glimpse of her of her parents, but specifically her mother, who clearly is also I think a witch and is doing sort of like chemistry stuff in her in her hut. You know, she's got all these like vials and kind of beakers and liquids and so on and so it's uh, to me and yeah and then then kiki does arrive in the in the in the city and she's um the only person there who can fly she's the only witch in this in this in this very heavily populated place um and you know she's getting strange looks when she when she starts flying because everyone's kind of uh, uh, amazed about this the presence of this person but also similarly they, they all seem to accept that witches exist um uh it may just be that they've not seen them for a long long time they've, they've maybe slipped a little bit into mythology for these people but um because uh, there's a moment isn't there i think where one of them says oh she wears black and she's got a broomstick and she's got a cat it's just like the stories and it's true or whatever um and so for me it's like it's more of about like it's more like the to me that was a suggestion that that, that sort of urbanization and creating a city sort of moves you away from the kinds of uh, traditional forms of magic that you find within kind of more rural locations. And for me, it was a kind of like, the, the magic is persisting within rural realms and and has now found its way back into the city and is kind of wowing people so it's uh, how that kind of energy to me but i can see where you're coming from it's interesting because i can see what you mean because she she is single she's being singled out in this world as the the exceptional one as the one with the magic ability as the one who can do all the things that and, and and then eventually becomes this kind of iconic heroine figure i guess by the end but by doing the big rescue um but I, I I sort of feel like the, the the kind of book ending and there is a there is a very small bit at the end of the credits where the the parents receive a letter from her and so we, we see the parents very briefly again and actually quite nicely I noted this down because quite nicely in that letter uh, Kiki says that uh, she says something like she says there are still times when I get sad but I'm okay I'm happy now I'm, I'm settled and I thought that's quite a nice little addition so for me by bookending the fact that, that that, that, that witches exist and that her mother is a witch and happy and is married um, and is comfortable um, it sort of slightly removes that kind of exceptionalism and also the fact that she meets another witch on the way to the town as well also helps to establish that there are what there is a wider world here where there are magic and witches and maybe that helps for the fact that you're watching a studio ghibli film which is always full of magic anyway and, and this kind of mysticism It's an interesting point, though. It is an interesting
2: point. Well, just in response, I mean, in Rain Man, there is the sort of contextualizing moment where the doctor explains what autism is. Yeah. And um, we explain there's autistic people in the world, blah, blah, blah. Um, We meet other uh, members of his residential community at some point in the film. Mm. Um, uh, Kiki goes through burnout, Rain Man, or sorry, Raymond, is um is put into a situation where he can't perform his abilities mm. um with maths because uh charlie tom cruise sort of puts too much pressure on him mm. and expects him to sort of convert his abilities into into a sort of business model i mean <laughs> it's, yeah. it's getting worse and worse the more <laughs> i talk about it. it's a very <laughs> strong analogy um um yeah but I, th- I, I think maybe mm. the point is is that you know we're the ones putting the effort into trying to that's read crazy. autistic yeah, presence that's
0: true it's not there it's not been built in deliberately has it i guess yeah yeah,
1: yeah i was going to say i don't um i mean i haven't seen rain, rain man for many reasons um yeah. <laughs> i think that for me it's much more that, that the, the the difference is, is that rain man is a film that is explicitly supposed to be about autism Whereas what we when we choose films like this or when I choose films like this, it's because they resonate with me as a in as an autistic person in a way of sort of specific um um sort of autistic sensibility and and the way that the film is constructed. So I, I think that if if there isn't an, an element of exceptionism, then it's a very real one that I think that sometimes as someone who isn't neurodivergent, you do feel in the world. Um and I don't. I don't think that necessarily makes it a bad thing mm. to talk about it or to highlight it within a film, because you know this is a film about a witch in a town on the surface level. Whereas Rain Man is a film on the surface level about someone who's autistic, at least to my to my understanding of that film. Um, so I would I would say that that's probably not. I don't. I I I I think I kind of see what you're trying to say, but I don't think that it's. Um, it's necessarily a point of criticism. And I I think it's quite strange trying to sort of say that this is a film in the same way, just because we've been talking about it as a form of sort of of, of a depiction of what sort of, I don't know about exceptionalism, but certainly forms of detachment that can come with being autistic that I think are very real and things that are, are, are definitely felt um, that I've tried to articulate in sort of my relation to to kiki as a character um you know that's that's why why i want to talk about (laughs) films like this because they they are i wouldn't i wouldn't be talking about it if i didn't connect to it i wouldn't feel Mm. that i was necessarily able to do so um unless i was sort of watching a film by contrast to the majority of films that i watch and i think these people all are very strange (laughs) <laughs> and are constructed <laughs> in a way that I do not understand and very occasionally I will see a film and I will go, oh I, I i relate to that person um and i and I think that it's interesting and important to me to discuss it as whether or not that that form of sort of connection is 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 coming on an autistic level or if it isn't and I think that certainly by having this conversation about Ghibli and particularly about kiki I definitely think that for me that that level of connection with this film, um is coming on an autistic level rather than on 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 another aspect of what makes me the person i am
2: yeah so um i i think you make a really important point there um about um you know being able to identify with the characters and actually um also the distinction between talking about the film as describing autism and uh the film talking about autism um so that's an important distinction as well but i think uh you know stuart murray's point in his book representing autism was that the concern is if if you know he was talking explicitly about savantism mm. and the overrepresentation of savants in media representations of autism leading him to the conclusion that um if if all autistic representations are, are are related to being a savant which is only a tiny proportion of the of the population of autistic people um then there's a a sort of an unfair pressure on everybody else who doesn't have savant abilities and and there's this sort of mechanism Mm. of compensating um sort of compensating for your difference making up to the neurotypicals um you know i I, maybe you can accept me because i have other ways to contribute to society in a way that Mm. um you know, so there's nothing, uh, it, it, there's something that m- sort of, there's a connection there in terms of um, sort of making sure you're accepted through your ability to make up for your difference um, that Murray was concerned about. But yeah. in this in this example, what we're talking, we, we speculated about at least three characters cool. having autistic traits. And it's only really one of them who um, demonstrates a sort of a sort of an exceptionalism. Um, so even in this analogy, that, I'm drawing. Is
1: that, is, is that true? I mean, Tombo is is sort of gifted in an engineering sense, and and the the baking husband is clearly very good at doing, yeah, the,
2: bake, okay. doing the baking. That's true. About, gonna- <laughs> I was talking about implausible um abilities uh, yeah. sort of like magic magic basically yeah but you're right okay so yeah okay Sorry. everyone everyone has their <laughs> skills <laughs> no yeah. I, I i just i just make that point
1: because i don't know may, may. may i think that we've talked a lot about how sort of that that yes she has powers but really that's not it's not really a power is it it's not really magic she can fly that's mm. about it um that actually what makes her sort of a good human being is something that comes from within herself. Um, and, you know, I think that these sorts of things manifest themselves in various different ways. And yes, I don't think that people should necessarily have pressure to sort of contribute in that way necessarily. But a lot of people do and a lot of what is it people are sort of very exceptionally gifted in one way or another and, and are able to use what makes them neurodivergent in order to sort of um perform forms of labor like Kiki is here that might perhaps be something which a neurotypical person might not be able to do. Um mm. I don't know. That's what that's just like the way that I sort of I feel watching this film. Um I don't know if that's necessarily true.
2: <laughs> well it's certainly the argument um in neurotribes.
1: Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely.
0: Um, What's his name?
2: Silverman?
1: Yeah, Silverman, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah.
0: One thing I just before we wrap up, I know we've we've um, I think we've probably hit an hour now, but um one thing I wanted to just um mention, I think really, I don't know if there's anything to discuss about this, but um whilst I was watching this, I was reminded of basically kind of like the connection between autism and witches and 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 and, hmm. and sort of the history almost of witches. So I've recently reread um kind of spark the ellie mcnichol um children's novel uh which is you know multi-award winning very popular uh book um which is about a a young autistic girl probably similar age in some ways to kiki i can't quite remember the age of the the main character in that book it's probably similar who um is not a witch but is is interested in um in the history of witches in her town where she's where the book is set which is in in scotland and um and yeah, I dunno, I, I, I find this find this really an interesting connection to think about like historical witches as p- potentially being kind of, you know, um misunderstood uh, autistic women who were unusual uh, and didn't quite fit into society quite quite in a way that was expected and therefore was sort of accused of being witches and, and and then persecuted. Um and this film just made me think about that. I mean, this film never does that because really Kiki's never really persecuted i mean she's teased a bit by the kids but she's accepted generally and uh, as somebody who's helpful and and good and nice and useful um but i did i want to draw that connection between um between you know specifically autistic women i think and kind of the idea of 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 witchiness and being a witch and it was interesting when she finds ursula in the woods um because she's gone back into the woods to 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 retrieve something that she's dropped on her first sort of delivery which kind of goes a bit wrong and she drops this the the delivery itself and she's gone into the woods to to retrieve it and when she finds um the hut where ursula lives uh, i immediately thought oh okay here's another witch that's a bit more traditional she sort of lives on her own in in a in an isolated hut in the in the woods now, Ursula doesn't turn out to be a witch, but she certainly is kind of like a, she's a creative, she's an artist, she's got a sort of aura about her, um, I, and it's this kind of independent woman. And I just sort of thought, is this a woman? Is this woman living in this in this hut in the middle of the woods because she's been ostracized from the town, or? Mm. She just feels like she doesn't fit in there for some reason. We never really get an impression of why Ursula has ended up there. And we do see her later, sort of comes into the city to shop, do some shopping and and finds Kiki and they reconnect. Um, but I just thought that was an interesting thread sort of running through there was this, this I guess, this idea of, yeah, it just made me think about kind of the ostracized women and and mm. And how that might be in some ways connected to to autism in a kind of historical sense. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, actually, just has cottagecore lesbian vibes. Yeah, she's like just like, good. yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs>
0: she's she's just
1: left society. Maybe um, maybe 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 she's the queer in the village and has 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 sort of removed, her, removed herself to her little cottage. Uh, she's having a great time yeah. with her crows. She, she's li- she's li- she's living the absolute dream. Seriously, my goodness. Oh, no. But no, yeah. it's, it's it's interesting talking about sort of witches as sort of um, ostracized women and women who, um, particularly historically, like witches as sort of being um, intelligent women or women mm-hmm. performing form of, like forms of apocryphy and so on that you know would 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 be totally fine for a sort of a religious man to use, but but when a woman uses it, it's 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 um it's for evil and in communion with with Satan and so on. So mm. I, I think that I think I think it's in I don't know if that's necessarily interesting on an autistic level, but it's certainly interesting that there's a sort of detachment for women who are sort of gifted in one way or another, be that artistically or or Um, in in forms of intelligence and so on. Um, But I don't think that's necessarily the case in this town, because there are there are women who sort of do all different sorts of of professional roles. So it's interesting when thinking about sort of the idea of a witch in a modern setting, by contrast to what you're talking about, which is more sort of um, early modern notion Mm. of witches. I, I, I suppose that's something that has sort of fascinated Ghibli for a long time. They, they sort of pull from these, um, often British, um, stories like things like Di- Diane Wynne Jones, <coughs> um, mm. something like, like their latest film, Ewig and the Witch, which, um, you know, is, 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 it was directed by Gora Miyazaki. And Ewig um, in that's a little bitch. She's like a <laughs> horrible, she's like the opposite of Kiki. She's a really nasty piece of work. Mm. Um you know there's that maybe maybe that's just sort of Gorami Azaki's different approach to witches to 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 his father I don't know but um yeah it's interesting to think about how sort of these different witches are, are portrayed um and their are different sorts of behavior the way i would put it is that Ewig and the witch is sort of more um sort of ugly witches whereas Kiki is more sort of Nice switches.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Right. Okay. Well, I think that's that's probably time then because we've gone over an hour. But that's really nice. Thank you very much, um, Alex and Leanne, for your thoughts on on this film on Kiki's Delivery Service and on Studio Ghibli more widely. I'm really glad we managed to 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 do an episode on, on Ghibli. Actually, I think it's uh, I think it was important that we cover um, this wonderful um, uh, production company. Uh, so yeah that's it Thank you very much We'll be back in a, in a couple of weeks time I'm sure with another, um, another episode uh, But for now Thank you again to Alex and to Lillian And thank you for listening Thank you David Thank you You have been listening to the Autism Through Cinema podcast Brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project From Queen Mary, University of London And The Welcome Trust Big thanks to Leverett Jakes For editing this episode our theme song is Waterfall by Meter, used under a Creative Commons attribution from Null Teal Records. Follow us on Twitter at Autism Cinema, and find out more about the project on autism-through-cinema.org.uk. If you have any feedback, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, please do get in touch with us on cinemaautism at gmail.com. Many thanks for listening.